is doing is it's blowing the roof off of what already existed as gross disparities in our society based on a number of factors, including race. But on the subject of race, disparities around health, um, disparities around economic status, educational disparities. And so, for example, let's talk about health. So black families and children are 20% more likely to have asthma. Black families are 40% more likely to have high blood pressure. Black women are three times more likely than white women to have lupus. Um, it, uh, viruses that affect the respiratory system have a direct impact on, on people who are suffering from sickle cell anemia. So what we know then is that this virus by its nature preys on people who have pre-existing conditions. And, and what you and I have talked about and my concern is that we are reaching out to what we know to be vulnerable communities based on their, uh, based on health disparities and making sure we are putting the resources into getting them the attention and the help that they need. The educational piece, three million children in the United States do not have access to the internet. Okay, and it is mostly in poor communities, in rural communities. So while all of these, uh, these, these, these schools have shut down and we think, well, our children are supposed to be learning online, well, not three million of them. So part of why I'm here fighting is to say, let's deal with the next bill and put the money in to, to, to and I'm, I'm calling for $2 billion to lay the foundation to put broadband in these communities. Mm -hmm. um, there is the work that we need to do around education, understanding that our students, and in particular students of color, graduate with enormous student debt, disproportionately so. So yeah. part of what the last bill did is help them in terms of student load and debt and deferring interest rates and deferring payments. But again, we're gonna have specific communities that are gonna be particularly hard hit because the disparities existed even before this pandemic struck. The challenge of this current crisis is multifold, right? In a crisis and in situations where dysfunction is present, uh, just like it is in families, it is in society as well, the shit is always exposed. The rot is always seen. And unfortunately, the folks who bear the brunt of all this are ethnic minorities. And what concerns me the most about moving forward is not that, will I get the virus? Will my family get it? Yes, those are concerns. But the bigger issue is, is what are the implications of this as a man of color, as a black man living in this country with little agency, living a middle class life? And the millions of others who were in my same arena as well. We saw with the housing crisis. We saw with Katrina. We saw with Puerto Rico. The response from the White House, from Washington, from politicians who said they had our interest in mind. We see the effects it has on people of color. So moving forward, I wonder, I wonder what exactly that means for all of us, particularly as we move into this era of technology and information. I wonder. Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago. How are they gonna beat ISIS? I don't think it's going to happen. But but he has these bizarre ideas about what Christianity stands for and what it means. Atomic bombs and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he does, 
That's what it means to be white. To say that you're standing on your own ground and standing on somebody else's and then mystify the whole process. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, hey, y'all. Hey, hey, profane faithers. How y'all doing out there? As always in podcast land, hopefully you are still staying safe. You are still remaining in shelter wherever you may be. I don't know if your state has placed a mandate for you to be in uh, in shelter, but uh, here in Illinois, that uh, that mandate was extended until April 30th. So we here uh, in Illinois will still be sheltering in place through through Easter and through Resurrection Sunday, for those of you who uh, celebrate and uh, take part in that Christian tradition, um, those of you who are part of a Christian uh, faith and background, we will probably be doing that online, right, in the virtual world. So here we are. What is this, week three, week four of the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus, the novel coronavirus here we are. So welcome. If you've, this is your first time uh, joining, my name is Daniel White Hodge, and this is uh, Profane Faith. The uh, the podcast has been on now. Well, we started what August 2017, and here we are in uh, April of 2020. So we're coming up on three years. Um, and uh, I think, guys, uh, you heard the words there of uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, I wasn't necessarily a, 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 a big fan of hers, per se. Some of her politics I had uh, were, were definitely <laughs> questionable, so to speak. Um, but I will say that what she was saying there and that has got me thinking uh, in regards to what are the effects, the long-term effects of uh, this, uh, this pandemic, right? Uh, I'm curious to know how all this stuff is affecting you, Um uh, be curious to know, hit me up, you know, on Twitter or, or you know, send me an email. Um, and I, you know, cause it's, it's difficult to tell, right? I mean, you don't, no one's really a, you know, can look into a crystal ball and see, okay, this is exactly how it's going to be. But, uh, there are some indications and I think the indications are that people of color, particularly, um, you know, Brown, Asian, African American—you know—we are the ones who tend to, to, uh, and Native Americans for that matter, Indigenous folks uh, are the ones that kind of bear the brunt of the, uh, you know, when I mean they called it the canary in the mine, for example. You know, if you think about mine workers, you've never heard that statement. Canary in the mine simply means that you know you go down working a mine shaft. If the air suddenly becomes bad, you take a canary because if the canary dies because of their system, right, it's much smaller than ours. And if they start breathing toxic fumes, of uh, the canary dies, then you know you need to get out because you're next. Um, and so hence the the um, the saying, the canary in the mine. However, you know, black folk have been the canary in the mine uh, for American societal um, temperatures for quite some time. And the housing crisis, you know, before that even hit 
you know, Main Street that was hitting uh, African-Americans in 2003, 2004, you know, well before what that was happening, right? But that was expected, right? You know, uh, the crack epidemic, right? You know, that was something that affected us before it made it to Wall Street, um, you know, and of course now, you know, with folks who are saying, oh, we've got this, uh, you know, this issue with, um, what is it like meth and, uh, uh, what is it? What do they call it? The, the new, the new drug, uh, uh I'm sure y'all, y'all saying it's this, it's this, but you know what I'm talking about. The new thing that, um, you know, the, uh, the new, the new drug, the new crack era there, right. That, that is being said about folks who take, you know, take those drugs. My point being is, is that. My concern is, is, is twofold. One, what is the effect long-term going, going to be the long-term effect of ethnic minorities who still don't hold a line share of the wealth uh, in this country? Uh, what that looks like, uh, I definitely include myself in that. And even though, you know, we're middle class and, you know, we're owning a home, we're mortgaging it, it's not paid off. You know, we have cars, we have, uh, you know, health insurance, but at the end of the day, uh, our savings, you know, may get us a couple of months, but, uh, you know, that, and uh, that's that's hoping uh, we're not necessarily, you know, we, we could get easily get, you know, taken out if there was a strong stronghold on the on the economy. Um, I think we're also seeing just the, you know, that was so that's the first fold. The second fold is, is just we're seeing kind of the death of something here. Right. This kind of idea of neocapitalism and how that affects um, or neoliberalism, I should say, rather, excuse me, um, how that affects uh, people uh, and how we look at things and we value things more than we value people. We're starting to see these things, right? I mean, we, you know, we got the Amazon worker that uh, was um, terminated and, you know, then papers were released later that said they were trying to smear him and and them and, and you know, for what they were doing. We're seeing that, uh, you know, places like Walmart and stores, you know, people are standing up being like, hey, look, this is a pandemic and y'all ain't really taking it serious. And so, um, you know, we're starting to see the cracks and the fractures. I guess my my question would be, will we are we going to go back to, you know, to those gods? Are we going to go back to those environments that we have said, uh, you know, these are bad? I mean, because we, we can all see, right, that this is not working, <laughs> right? Uh, but nevertheless, here we are. Um, uh, so I'm part of a text chat group called Keeping It 100. You listening and you know who you are uh out there shout out to the keep it at 100 group um and uh we were talking about this the other day and um you know that uh you know this the again the leaked amazon memo details plans to smear the firehouse warehouse organizer um you know they were saying you know he's not smart or articulate uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about, right, this, this, particularly how crisis exposes uh, them, the, the, the dysfunctions, right? If you think about it just from a family systems theory perspective, right? Um, and you think about, you know, uh, if you're, if your house is destroyed by a tornado or like an earthquake or something like that, right? The crisis begins to then to highlight those dysfunctions if people were you know and then it emphasizes them right and then if those if if the two adults in the house weren't getting along well guess what that's going to be magnified and tripled uh if the kids in that family weren't uh were were struggling with with certain things it's going to come out and so we're starting to see those things now um the amount of people that are out of work uh the amount of folks that uh you know 
uh, don't don't have that right. The gig economy, right? How we've looked upon again people as things, and we've supported an economy that is a for all intent purposes a person, a living, breathing organism, which is not. We know these social constructs, uh, and my friend uh, Patrick. Uh, in this group uh, said, and I'm going to quote from him. He says, I think it's due, if I can borrow from Walter Brueggemann's words, it's some people's inability to accept endings, right? Talking about this idea and notion that, um, you know, these things can come to an end. We can put an end to this um, and actually embrace something new, right? He says, to mourn the impending death of something, even when the evidence proves it won't survive. Jesus warned that after his kingdom has torn through the old world, uprooting those in power, people will weep and gnash of teeth but avoid the pain of the lost empire they numb themselves under the illusion that everything is all right that's i can't stand the people uh who that i can't stand the people excuse me uh the, who who being under uber positive about everything right and we talked about this i think it's a couple of weeks ago right this idea and notion of toxic positivity all right um especially when the world is going to hell and thinking that positivity is transformative. So that quote right there again from Patrick in this group. Um, and I think that's, and that's the truth, right? I think that we are at that point, like, and we've been saying that particularly about evangelicalism, right? There's all kind of stuff being written up about evangelicalism that started even 20 years ago. If those of you who can remember, you know, the movement called the emergent church, right? <laughs> Which I, and, you know, I could get behind in terms of just the principle of it, but in, in terms of actual practice, I mean, it was kind of a group of, you know, white guys, frat boys, you know, running around, you know, uh, talking about, you know, all these philosophical things. And, you know, a lot of people of color weren't involved in that. Um, and, uh, you know, I won't get into the brutal history of, of, of that, but we've been knowing some changes coming. And here we are, right? 9-11 comes and people start questioning, wow, like, you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know what to do. Why would God allow this? And we start to think like, well, wait a minute, this happens in other countries. This happens in other, you know, places, spaces that, um, you know, uh, you know, you think about other countries that, you know, particularly in the Middle East, right, that this thing happens. And it's an interesting uh, concept. I was watching a documentary on the white helmets and essentially these folks. Um, are people who run into their and they're in Syria uh, and they run into the city whenever there's a bombing to help get get people out and this is kind of it's all you know it's it's bipartisan it's uh, interreligious doesn't they don't care who you are what side you're on if you're in a building and you're stuck because it's collapsed they run in and it was interesting in that documentary and it's on Netflix by the way it, it to just to hear the amount of faith from each of these people talking about God, man. And that kind of encouraged me because it was like, man, you know, and, and it wasn't about, oh, God, protect us. It was just as God wills it. I think that's a different perspective, right? Than saying, oh, God's going to protect all of us if we just pray this prayer, right? What is the will of God? What is the will of what is, you know, is it the time for this? Is it not the time for this? I don't know. It's, it's a different way of looking at God, right? In a collectivist rather than an individualist perspective, God protect us, send your mercies down and guide us and stuff. Well, what about to the people who already have the virus right now? What about those who um, are sick right now? What about those who um, are feeling it? It's, it's, um, you know, I mean, then it begs, you get into all the nitty gritty right there, right? It's, you know, you get into the aspects of, well, then does God, is this God then this ultimate, like, um, you know, randomizer? Is, is God a randomizing God that sits up and says, all right, well, you, 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 no, not you. And you, I mean, I don't know. 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's that's the quest, right? And I think, you know, evangelicalism was a nice stop. It was it was a nice uh, a detour to kind of have some answers. But here we are, 2020, right? We got a wealth of information in front of us. We are in, sitting in, you know, a pandemic that most of us haven't ever seen in our lifetime. And and, and that's in speaking with elders, uh, people who were around, you know, 50, 60, 70, 90 years ago. Even people are saying, I have not seen this in my lifetime. Yes, there have been viruses. Yes, there have been other aspects of viruses and things passing. But to see entire economies shut down, entire countries shut down, uh, we are witnessing something new. And so what what then does that mean when we, quote unquote, return to normal um i don't know i don't know and i don't even know if we do return to normal um yeah man this is some stuff it's some stuff so you know i just just trying to hold hold some tension there in regards to um what does it mean then to be you know faithful and i and i can then again i just love you know the will of god what is the will of god and and surrendering that wisdom to God, that God knows and sees the bigger picture and allowing God to be in those spaces rather than trying to usurp that and suggest, well, God will just protect us. You know, it's like some of these fools that are still having church amid the uh, the crisis, right? You got Liberty University that's going back uh, to school, right? Uh, amid people who are, um, you know, sick. And here's the, this is how jacked up we are, y'all. This is how jacked up. Check this out. And then you have people coming out saying that people are lying about the amount of deaths and the amount of people who have the virus uh, because that's a campaign to smear the president. I mean, oh, my gosh, like for real. Oh, Lord, have mercy, man. And then (laughs) when your boy went out and saw the Tiger King now, oh, man, (laughs) what the what the hell, man? White people. What the hell is going on? Yo, I tell you what right now, man. I am so glad black folk weren't represented in this particular documentary series, man. Oh, my goodness. If you haven't seen it and you got Netflix, you, you got to see it. You got to see it. And it, and it took me a minute because I was like, oh, I don't know. The previews didn't catch my attention. But then everybody was like, oh, dude, so peer pressure. I succumbed to peer pressure and, and online stuff. And oh, my gosh, it just sucked me in. I mean, that so much little things to do with actual tigers and 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 the conservation of these big cats right uh and i'm like wow only a white male could do i mean just the craziness of all this stuff um on both sides right i I didn't even see that there's a good in any of that um my wife emily she said something so profound she was like man as you know as we're watching this and we're taking bathroom breaks because we're binging it right um she's like man i just i i wonder how am i doing some of those same things right it's like you're on one end you know you have the tiger king on one and the other end you have the woman right who's you know who's who's working with PETA and everything but it's like man at the end of the day it's like man who, who's really the bad person here one got caught the other didn't one had money and support the other didn't and that's and I've said this on the show before. It's like I don't want to become a liberal fundamentalist. I don't want to become a progressive, right, conservative, <laughs> if that is you know, but or just just holding on to my ideas and preconceived notions, um, and not allowing some of that dissonance to really happen and to change my perspective based and given on new information. Um, so yeah, some interesting nuances going on there. But yeah, Tiger King, I may have to do a whole special on that because that was some crazy ass shit right there, y'all. Whoo, my goodness, man, make your head pop off there, man. That's some crazy stuff. So 
yeah, we'll see how this economic downturn, you know, begins to affect folks. It, it really has been on my mind a lot, you know, because uh, again, we, you know, we as people of color, particularly black folk, you know, we we are been been the canary in the mine uh, for a long time. And right now, part of the canary in the mine, of course, is Asians. You know, a couple weeks back, I had my good friend Kathy Kong on talking about that. You know, what does it mean to be Asian and in this in this environment of uh, the COVID nineteen? Because you know, people look at all Asians as looking the same, even though she's Korean, not even from anywhere near. You know, well, she's in Korea. She's not Chinese. And people don't care, right? It's just like, well, I just assume that that's who you are. That's who you is. And so, um, yeah, crazy shit, man. Crazy shit. I, oh, my goodness. Well, um, I got to introduce our guest this week. I had the pleasure of talking with uh, a newly found friend, Heidi son schreiber she they uh oh man she came down uh this last summer uh to intern um at a church out here in chicago and i was just like oh man we gotta connect uh shout out to um angie hong right angie hong thank you so much for and she's been on the show before as well if you haven't been checking out the seasons and she in a, introduced us um, she was like oh man you got to check out Heidi she's great and I was like I gotta get you on the podcast and we finally got a chance to sit down and talk uh, about a lot of stuff man just life and theology and um, Heidi is a uh, she's queer biracial seminarian she's out actually out in uh, Duke uh, an artist. She's living in Durham, North Carolina, but she hails from Chicago. She hopes to pastor and plant a church uh, here after finishing their master's degree uh, of divinity, master of divinity in 2021. Uh, in their free time, they enjoy making crafts, playing soccer, and cuddling with their pup, Logan. Y'all, y'all are in for a treat right here. Um, and Heidi, just the way they think in regards to life, in regards to theology, I was like, yo, I got to get you on the show and just and just let you just go. And that's exactly what we did. And I was very thankful for them to come and uh, just take some time uh, from that and whatnot. And then the last part I wanted to say is that you know, we lost an icon this last week. For those of you who are uh, into music and like myself, and particularly into music production, uh, uh, Bill Withers. Uh, oh my gosh, this this cat, amazing. The work that he did and the music that he has out, uh, amazing stuff. It's like true soul from the gut, from the heart, from the depth. Um, and so big shout out to the Withers clan and the Withers family. Uh, and just the music. If you haven't checked out who Bill Withers is, just check it out. And if you haven't, I don't know how this infringes with copyright stuff. I don't know at this point. I just want to just send a special tribute to Bill Withers. So stay tuned after Heidi and I finish our conversation. Uh, there's a special tribute uh, to Bill Withers right after that. Check that uh, out. Right, Like I said, right after Heidi and I finish our conversation. So stay safe, y'all. Uh, abide by the, the the shut-in rules, y'all. I'm telling you, don't do it. And you know, now they're telling us we need masks and stuff and gloves. I'm telling you, y'all. Let's let's uh, let's uh, let's let's pull together as much as we can. Um, you know, I'm I kind of buck the rules sometimes, but when it comes to this type of stuff, I'm just like, nah. Let's let's uh, let's see what we can do. You know, so hopefully we can see some sunshine uh, on the other side of this. So be blessed as much as you can. Stay safe. And enjoy this conversation with Heidi and I. And then, like I said, immediately following that, check out their tribute to the late and great Bill Withers. Peace, y'all. All right. Well, 
Heidi, thank you so much for taking time to come on Profane Faith. It's, it's great to have you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm stoked. Well, this is good. I mean, I, in fact, just just learning that you this, this is the first podcast. I mean, this is this this is this is deep. So this is great. Let's well, let's start it off. Like what what has been happening in your life from birth to now? Birth to now. Wow. <laughs> this is like a 10 hour long podcast. <laughs> we'll make it. We'll make it nine. Um, just just for you. Okay. Um, from birth to now. So I yeah, I guess it's good to give a little background. I uh, was born in um, San Francisco and raised um, outside Chicago. Um, my family is, was and still is very churchy, very uh, conservative, Christian, very devout. Um, and... Um, I come from a mixed race family. So my dad is white American and my mom is uh, Cantonese. She immigrated from Hong Kong. And um, yeah, so there are a lot of interesting dynamics there. Um, And I grew up, yeah, being very devout myself. I wanted to be a Bible translator. So I went to college, yeah, at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago um, planning to become a Bible translator. And then since I was homeschooled growing up, I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to the outside world. So suddenly I'm in the big city and I am meeting all kinds of people and experiencing all kinds of things, um, that just kind of threw me off a little bit and made me reconsider a lot of things. Um, did a lot of traveling in college, um, internationally and yeah, just did a good bit of deconstructing in college. Um, I did the whole, I'm not a Christian anymore, angsty kind of thing. Um, and then ended up coming back around to it. Um, and then decided I wanted to teach theology, I think because, uh, this was like near the end of my time at Moody and I had a couple really great theology professors who uh, I would disagree with on a lot of things now, but I still really, really appreciate who they are and ways that they were um, open to me and um, hmm. encouraged me to, to seek truth and to, um, to just follow my questions and to ask hard questions Um, so yeah, I'm grateful for that. And because of that encouragement, I was just like, this is so cool. Like I want to be able to do this for other people to encourage them to ask questions and, um, have kind of always been passionate about teaching. Um, so I decided to go to grad school to study more theology, um, hoping to, um, move on to a PhD and become a professor and all of that. Um, so I, I came here to Duke, which is where I'm still at Duke Divinity. And, um, a kind of similar thing happened that happened at Moody. My whole world was turned upside down once again. Um, I realized that even in Chicago, I still had been pretty sheltered and had a bit of a bubble that I lived in and came here to Duke and realized that, uh, that I guess like progressive Christianity was 
actually a thing and that there could be such a thing as like profane faith you know those words would have never come together in my mind before they were complete opposites um but I yeah I've met some incredible people here I studied under some professors who have just really uh turned my life upside down um and just opened up like whole new worlds to me and so, yeah, I feel like I've just been all over again going through another deconstructive process and finding some kind of faith all over again. Um, and yeah, at this point, my trajectory is um, I am hoping to be ordained and do some kind of pastoral ministry, maybe go back to Chicago and plant a church. All right. Um, I'll attend. Yeah. I'll be there. <laughs> yeah honestly that's like that's so cool to hear yes like, okay, i'll have like one congregant at least yes exactly no i'm serious as a heart attack and diarrhea too man i'm so i'm like yeah man that's shit, if you plan it yeah absolutely oh my god yeah well let i don't me- know it would be fun i would like i would want to have a church that is not church <laughs> right well, cause yeah. that's, I mean, that's, that's cause that's what Emily and I talk about all the time. It's like, we do, mm-hmm. we, I mean, it, I mean, I, I, I don't know if we told you, but we, we, we haven't attended, we left, you know, LaSalle. Right. I mean, just, it, just so a lot of those various reasons, right. It's just like, right. yeah, we say we're progressive, but it's like, that's yeah. just entitled and deep. It seems like it's the pig with lipstick. And so yeah. what does, and what does that look like? And so, I don't know. I mean, it's just been this hiatus what uh, and so what I mean? What does some of that deconstruction look like for you in regards to theology? I mean, because Moody to Duke, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, and going from Christian conservative to kind of like now, like man, I just I want to do church that doesn't look like church, but church. And so, mm-hmm. what 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 is some, what 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 were some of the things? Maybe maybe some of the texts, some of the readings, or some of the theological motifs for you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think a big part of it was so experiential. Like, I think that's been a thing that I've had to try to convey to people who still are in a similar place to where I used to be, like theologically and ideologically, is that there's so much that I can't explain and I can't necessarily, you know, um, yeah, I can't, I can't just convey using words because so much of the deconstructive process is, is lived and embodied and is a part of, you know, being in a different community and talking to different people and encountering different situations. Um, and so, yeah, I think that so much of it was, um, you know, beginning in that time in Chicago, encountering people who weren't people of faith, you know, and who I realized were actually, better people than me, (laughs) you know, or they were like so much more like kind or they were like better, better quote unquote Christians than I was, you know, and they wouldn't even call themselves Christians. Like they just had much better, like ethical ideas or much better, like just the way that they lived their lives was so much more admirable. And I was like, wow, like is Christianity even like helping me be a better person? Um, Hmm. And yeah. And like, I think of, so I worked at this coffee shop in, uh, in college and that was where I really came into uh, contact with, um, a lot of, a lot of folks. And, um, 
it, yeah, I guess it just was a process of like curiosity, um, written curiosity and, um, a lot of just being willing to realize fundamentally that if what I'm after is the truth, then I can't be afraid of it, you know, because it was really the whole process, you know, from beginning to even this day, like is so terrifying in a lot of ways to continue to like, let go of my grasp of things. Um, especially when you come from like a fundamentalist background, which is all about like a foundation and like standing firm and all of that um to go to a place of just like letting go and Mm. and and that that is like such a like a profound act of faith though I think because like that's what faith really is is to to believe that I can let go and that what I believe in is so real that even if I let go of it like I will find it you know or it will find me um so yeah I think it's been just a lot of personal experience and, um, coming into, to, uh, contact with different people and situations that has really gotten me where I am along with, yeah, definitely some, some books and, and things like that. Um, but in some ways it's kind of hard to trace. No, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I absolutely. That's, and that's part of why I, I asked the complexity, you know, of that. What, and, I, and I'm curious, and again, not to, to, to bad mouth any school and everything like that, but I mean, I'm curious just like what your, I've had, you know, a few folks on here, you know, that have <laughs> gone to Moody. Uh, yeah. And what, I mean, what was that like? And then, like, how did you, you said, you know, you had some of the questions and asked the questions and what, what were some of those questions? Right, particularly, right, yeah. per- particularly as it pertains to, and I don't, I, you know, particularly for those of us who, I mean, my undergrad was at Cal State Monterey Bay, right? So it was like my, yeah. Yeah, there was, there wasn't even, I mean, I didn't even know about religious studies. Although I will say that I was, I would definitely say that I was definitely a, uh, a, a fundamentalist at that at, yeah. at that juncture in my life, but I'm I'd, be, I'd just be curious if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it's funny because uh, when I got to Moody, and because of my background and where I had come from, it was actually kind of like liberal to me. I remember thinking, like, I remember finding out that one of my classmates was a Democrat. And I was like, what? How is this even possible? Does he like read the Bible? Um, And I remember, yeah, like one of my professors talking about evolution as if that was, you know, like saying like creation is like, you know, creationism and evolutionism are like both like possibilities or, you know, they're both valid systems of belief. And I was like, hold phone <laughs> <laughs> right um so yeah I remember when I first showed up there already feeling challenged even at Moody by some of the things that were taught there um and and I think so I think that the 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 questions I was having to ask were how like what what does Christianity look like and um like how big is it you know and how how many people are allowed to call themselves Christian, you know, when, when I am starting to see that manifest in so many different ways and how many people can think of themselves as good people when I'm starting to see that manifest in so many different ways. Um, So, yeah, I think that was a lot of the questions that I was having to ask were, is it okay to, 
Um, actually, even like the fundamental question of is it okay to question things? Um, because once you get going, then you never really know where to stop. Like once you let go of, like a big question was like the place of like the Bible or scripture and like how to understand that. Uh, because it's really easy to have like a, a black and white understanding, you know, like foundationalist, like every answer I need is like the Bible. Like, yeah. you know, my response to everything is like, what does the Bible say? And yeah. thinking, like, it's like an answer book. Um, so going from that to slowly like questioning, like, okay, what if there's another way to do things? Or what if the Bible actually doesn't necessarily have the answers I think it does? Or what if mm. I'm projecting some of my answers onto the Bible or I'm reading the Bible in a way that I've been taught to um, by other people? And I guess, yeah, just the question of, of certainty, I think is a big one of how certain can I be? And do I have to be certain? Um, and I mean, where I've, come to at this point is embracing that uncertainty and just recognizing that as a human, I can only grasp so much. And that's a like really good and beautiful thing. And like, if I could grasp and understand everything, like I just, there wouldn't be any like mystery about it. And um, there wouldn't be like curiosity and, and room for things like that in the human experience. Um, so embracing those things. And at this point, I, I feel like I would consider myself a Christian, I suppose, on most days. A lot of qualifiers there. Um, <laughs> <of course. laughs> um, yes. And that's, and that's really just because but I, I feel like I have made a free choice, like not necessarily because I feel like this is the only way and this is how to get to heaven or anything like that. But just because in some, like I have history with it, honestly, is is why I feel like I am, am tied to it in so many ways. Like Christianity is in my roots and it's in my story. And yeah. so much of how I make sense of the world is through that lens. And I can appreciate like, when other people have other belief systems and I can learn from that. And I, I guess I've realized that for me, I feel like my calling is to revisit like those, um, those parts of my roots and where I've come from and my, my heritage as a person who's been raised in the church and to figure out how me and those I know who have like collectively experienced a path like that, like how we can also find collective liberation in that, um, mm. like while preserving that part of our past and our histories and not pretending like, you know, those things are not a part of us still, but finding like that's, and that's what I see as like the, the work of the church um, yeah. that I aspire to, you know, is like to, to help us to, to, um, to free us from wherever it is that we may be coming from and to find liberation together, you know? That's deep. I like that. I like that a lot. And I think now more than ever, I mean, in this kind of new wave or whatever, I mean, however we want to term it, this, this, this era that we find ourselves in, where there is a lot of deconstruction going on, right? There's yeah. a lot of questioning. There's a lot of, you know, partly is because we have so much information that is made available to us that just quite honestly just wasn't even around or accessible even 20 mm -hmm. years ago. 
Um, so how then do you theologically? Because I got a, I got a big question for you. I mean, and okay. let me let me let me let me ask this. And again, this is not to put you on the spot or anything like that. Even yeah. though we, you know this, you you on the show now. But uh, what <laughs> then does a church look like then for you? What what is that in at this at this okay. juncture? And we may come back to it in like three years, okay. and you be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. But at this yeah, point, <laughs> because <laughs> and that's and that's a good thing. I think that that's a good that's thing. Good. But I'm but I'm curious because this is a conversation that I have a lot and I don't and this is I don't think this is the right or wrong answer let me just pre pre uh pre-emphasize that but uh I'd be curious to, to know what you're yeah. uh, how you would define that right now given all the things that you've got mm-hmm. swirling and going on for you right now yeah um I like this question it's it like gives me an opportunity to just like to to dream and to wonder mm. And I, I think in a way like that is a, a key part of what I think the work of the church is, is honestly for us to start re-envisioning what the work of the church is hmm. and to, um, to reimagine. Um, that's my dog. <laughs> oh, it's all good. That's shoot. I got, yep. I'm, I've got a few running upstairs. I can hear him now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for the, the, the work of the church is to, for us to re-envision and to reimagine, um, and so I I picture a church being a place where um, people can come together and find um, safety in one another and find a place to like. I love liturgy, um, and I sometimes am annoyed that I love liturgy because it seems like such a like a weird thing to appreciate um but the reason i love liturgy is because it gives us something to it's like it's like a like a family tradition you know and it's like an act of like belonging to one another and it's like a practice that like you do with other people and then like binds you together because you're like, oh yeah, we do that thing together, you know? Mm. Uh, and I think liturgy can like look obviously like very, very different. Uh, but one part of the liturgy that I really appreciate is um, the, what would you call it? Um, like the, the, the period of like um, repentance and asking for forgiveness that usually takes place before communion. Um and this isn't something that I grew up with because I grew up, you know, non-denominational. But from the first time that I experienced um, a more formal liturgy and experienced this period of like repentance and things like that, um, I remember being kind of thrown off by it and confused by it mm. uh, until very recently because I, I've just been wondering, like, I have been trying to get away for so long from this idea of myself as being this like terrible sinner and God like is withholding yeah. that like, you know, and like yeah. a stressful moment and like, I need to beat myself and, and all of that. So I've, I've always wondered like, what is the place of this in liturgy? Why are we still doing this to ourselves and telling ourselves that we like need forgiveness and we're terrible and all of that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't even remember. I wish I could remember who it was who told me this because I owe them a lot, but they invited me to understand that time as a period of collective repentance. 
and not just as like, you know, me personally, like I do so many terrible things, but to grieve on behalf of the world, because anybody can look at the state of our world, especially, you know, in this pandemic and to be like, this is fucked up, you know? Right. And I, one of the things that I appreciate about the church and about liturgy is that it gives us a place to come together and to just talk about that and to say that and to, and to just have a space. Like there's literally a space in the liturgy, liturgy where we can hold silence and grieve and we can weep and we can cry out and we can just experience and like not shy away from the weight of all of that. And we're doing it together. You know, this isn't something that I'm having to bear alone and just to say, you know, that I somehow need to fix the problems of the world. Um, But to sit in the uncomfortability of it with other people and with people who we trust and who we love and who together we are like trying to reimagine, okay, how can we, how can we do things differently and what might a different world look like? Wow. 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 I mean, I love that. I mean, cause I think, yeah, there's so much of that right, right now. And in, in particularly, you know, with, with this whole, the novel Corona, uh, that is, that is, that is among us right now. It's like, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I mean, I think just even prior to us hitting record and whatnot, I mean, you said, you know, just how Taiwan and, and particularly other countries have just handled this. I mean, I know South Korea had a lockdown on this Mm -hmm. and it, you know, and like, okay, we, you know, we handling this and just some of the ideologies around, the American way, this notion oh, of yeah. freedom uh, and what that looks like. And, you know, the whole idea of don't tread on me. And, oh, yeah. and now we're uh, <laughs> right. <so great>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's so like, I feel like this time in particular is like where we're, sh- we're seeing people start to show their true colors, you know, and who they really yes. are. Yes. Um, like I, I, I think of, so, um, my partner, you don't know about this. I started dating this wonderful person, um, Ooh. back in November. Their name's Sam. They're great. Shout out. Nice. Um, <laughs> What's all right, Sam. <laughs> so y'all would really get along. You have, you'll have to meet sometime. I but would anyway, love to. Yeah. Sam, uh, was, uh, staying. So they had, uh, or have, I guess, two roommates and, um, there was this whole situation where, so their roommates are white and their um, partners were also staying at their place. And I was staying at their place because we were trying to, you know, self quarantine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so there are like seven of us staying in this house and it's me and Sam and a bunch of, of white folks. And these are like white because we're all queer in the house and you know, we would consider ourselves, you know, progressive and you know, leftist, whatever. And these are the types of people who, you know, they would be like at a, you know, like they would wear a Black Lives Matter shirt or something like that. Of course. But yeah, but during this this situation, like it it was wild like how you see things like you really see who people are in the midst of this. And they were they were just being really, really white (laughs) amidst all of this and they were starting to be like really territorial and they were starting to like um 
like their their inward panic was was starting to show like and their like fear of people of color um and their i like the the whole like the white ideas of like purity and of like other like people of color being like contaminants and things like that like they were like we need to sanitize the house every day and like um they were just like really wary of like of me and sam and the way that we were um responding to the situation um and there was like nothing that we could do to like be like clean enough. <laughs> um, and they ended up, it just like came to this like horrible, like dramatic um, period where um, they essentially like drove me and Sam away from the house because what? Sam, yeah, Sam needed to go to a, a doctor's appointment and they were like, no, you can't go to this because you're going to bring back coronavirus and um, you're going to contaminate us in our house and you should just go back to your family and essentially saying that Sam should go back to like their their black family, you know, and like oh, older folks and stuff like that and contaminate them instead of their, you know, their, their sanitized house. Um, and so me and Sam just had to get out of there. We were like, this is wild. Um, they're like literally trying to prevent a black non-binary trans person from getting healthcare that they need right now in a crisis because they care more about their own lives. And they were, you know, screaming at Sam, like, you don't care about my life and things like that. What? And I was like, Just screaming and yelling? Uh, yeah, they were literally, like, it was terrifying. Like, I was like, wow, y'all are really showing your true colors right now. Wow. And it's I wish I would have said, like, you know how you, you always think of, like, that zinger once you walk away? Like, yes. Yeah, so I realized when <laughs> I walked, walked away, I should have been like, damn, I really didn't realize that y'all were an All Lives Matter household, but that is, like, really <laughs> evidently what it's come down to. <laughs> like, actually, though. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was wild. So, yeah, like, things like that. Things like I went to, uh, I went on, like, a last grocery run yesterday because we had a lockdown order starting last night here in Durham. Okay. And, um, and I went to, so first me and Sam tried to go to Trader Joe's and I really like their frozen food section. They do have so a good frozen. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we tried to go there and we, we show up and there's like a long ass line outside the door. Mm-hmm. Just to and I, I also later, I talked to somebody I know who works at Whole Foods and same thing, like there's like a long line to get in. And so, um, we ended up having to go to Food Lion and you see all the people of color at Food Lion. Break <laughs> like, it down. Come on. Yeah. You just see all these like racial lines, like so evidently like pop up during crisis. And then I stopped at the, the, uh, there's like an Asian grocery store, um, near my house and, we stopped there because I wanted to get some noodles, obviously comfort food. And, uh, and, and same deal, like in there, like there were like only like Asian folks and people of color in there, like all the white folks, you know, that like trendy hipster folks that I like usually see in there, they were nowhere to be seen. <laughs> I was like, okay, I see how it is. This is interesting. Um, yeah. But I feel like it's been what, like you just see how, um, how much like like a crisis like this just peels back the layers yes. of like 
of everything that like whiteness has been trying to paint over, you know, and act like doesn't exist. And, and you see that, yeah, you see that among like racial lines, you see that in like, in class and you see like, and you see like how much those things are tied together, like race and class and gender and, and just the ways that people are affected by something like this. Um, and yeah, it really does. I don't know. It really does like make you like question a lot of things that you like thought you knew or like mm-hmm. you thought you thought you could trust and stuff like that. It's like, wow. All right. Well, and I, that's fine. And you, I, that's exactly it. I mean, I think that that those are things that uh, and, and by the way, again, I'm so happy for I got I got to meet the meet, meet Sam. I got to meet Sam. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, um, you know, I just think that, you know, that this particular era and this is I, again, this is so funny because I was just telling somebody this exact almost the exact same thing the other day. I was like, you know, it's like you have a dysfunctional family and on the surface, everything looks great. Everything looks nice. And, you know, we got pictures of America and America all jeweled up and everything and this is the best country. But then. The moment you have a, a, a crisis, a particular thing, and then you just start seeing all the ugliness of this and whatnot. And, I, and I'd be curious just to know how you've dealt with just some of the racism. Maybe I don't know if you've experienced any microaggression. It sounds like there was a yeah. lot of crazy shit happening just in that particular yeah. housing area that you were in with Sam. Yeah. But I'd be yeah. curious, like, you know, what, what are the areas, and particularly online, like... Have you know? Have you have you been online and engaging in any conversations like that? What is, what's that? What's that been like for you? Given that you know Trump's dumbass is 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 well one calling it the Chinese you know virus, and yeah. two, as of today he is. I just saw um, a headline come across that you know he's bucking all the scientific orders and 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 telling everybody to go back to work. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it's definitely infuriating and it was rough because like, actually when the beginning, when this started to all ramp up, I was visiting my grandma and her husband outside of Asheville and they are, um, like older white Trump supporters and, Mm. um, and um, her husband just like blasts like conservative talk radio like all day long. And I was just like, yeah, like this is not where I need to be. So I ended up, I just had to leave and come back home. And like ever since then, and like through this uh, roommate situation that happened with Sam, and um, I already like, have struggles with mental health and anxiety and depression. And mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. just had to really, really, really prioritize, um, taking care of myself. And, um, in some ways that's, that's easier to do with a partner. I think, especially like during this crisis to be able to have somebody, I'm so grateful for that. Yes. Uh, to like a, a physical you know, body and like the nearness of somebody and to have like the emotional support and all of that has been huge. And in ways like we've also had to try to figure out amidst like caring for one another, how to still care for ourselves and prioritize that. Um, And since we're both, you know, queer and people of color and um, we just have, you know, different, different things similar and different things that we're facing, you know, in this, this pandemic. And we both have 
our own mental health struggles and things like that. And so in ways we have found solidarity with one another and I am, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to be able to have someone to, to lean on in that way. Um, and in ways I think we've also had to, um, to just, to, I guess like respect our differences too, not necessarily differences of opinion, but just recognize the different ways that we are affected by this. Like there are particular ways in which Sam knows that like I, as an Asian American person and, you know, hearing racist things from the president and from other people and seeing things online and um, yeah, feeling like um, threatened in, in my own ways just by, you know, the skin I live in. And, um, and I, you know, I have to recognize that there are ways that Sam, you know, as a black person and as a trans person, um, and with the, uh, the, the particular mental health struggles they face, um, that they're facing, you know, their own types of microaggressions and outright. Mm. Aggressions. And, um, and so I think that's something I've also seen, um, in really beautiful ways online. Like I really try to limit my time online because it just hasn't been very healthy for me lately. Yeah. That's uh, good. I need to do yeah, that. When I, yeah. When I do like spend time online, like something I have been seeing that's really beautiful is people of color coming together. Um, like I'm really <laughs> honestly very frustrated with, with white folks right now. And I don't really have the time. Um, but I have seen ways that people of color are just coming together to support each other. I have seen posts by black friends of mine who are like just calling out the overt racism against Asian Americans that are happening during this time. And that has been so affirming and so validating. And I've seen Asian Asian American friends of mine, you know, posting in solidarity and, and calling out, you know, the Asian American community to realize like, the fear that we're feeling now, like that's something that other people of color and particularly, you know, like indigenous and black folks like feel on a daily basis. You know, it's not just this, this pandemic situation. This is something that other folks, you know, our, our siblings and brothers and sisters are, are feeling even more, you know, on a regular basis than we are. And so we need to recognize that and not just try to cover, you know, protect ourselves. Um, so I have really, that's, I think that's like the one, beautiful thing online <laughs> that I've been seeing and clinging to. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to focus on that. No, I mean, that's, and that's, that's just it. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, cause it, here's the thing. I mean, for me, I, no one knows what, you know, what it's, what it's going to look like, quote unquote, after this is, you know, quote unquote over at the same time, I don't, I don't know what normal is going to look like or what, you know, when it, when yeah. it, and, and particularly, I mean, I'll, and I'll say this, you know, working for a nonprofit, I mean, mm. I think we're all in danger of, uh, you know, those of us who do work for nonprofits, it's like, you know, cause this, the economy, right. And it's so much of our own economy that is built off of consumerism and people buying things. Um, mm. And, and the, you know, the cheap labor, cause we're really seeing a tear in that, right. It's like, well, the gig economy, it's like, that's, that's just not working right now. Right. And, you know, that's what I was trying to tell a friend the other day. I was like, you know, this is not unlike the housing crisis where there were still social gatherings. We could still go out. There were still opportunities. Mm -hmm. You may not have health insurance and some of the things that, you know, we all desperately need 
but you could still go out and maybe do a part-time job here, part-time job there. Right. Whereas right now it's like, no, just stay in. We don't want you to die or we don't want you to spread whatever you got. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to, cause I too, I mean, I, I struggle with, you know, my own anxiety and particularly about stuff that, you know, my mind can get racing and thinking, Oh, well, what, what's the future going to be like? And what's this and the disruption mm-hmm. and that, that it's very easy for, at least for me to spin out and be like, Oh crap. And then just kind of get in this depressive state. Um, how, and, and how have you managed just being inside and, and being, you know, like you said, you're staying off social media, any other things besides that, that just helping you right now push through? Yeah. Um, I am typically trying to do, a few things every day. And honestly, so I had a pretty bad depressive episode um, last semester, at the end of last semester. And in that way, I kind of feel like I have been prepared for this time because when I was that, like I was, that was like social distancing and isolation for me. You know, I was like staying home all the time. And, um, and the difference was at that time it, I was really unhealthy mentally and I, I just was struggling a lot. And I think because of that, I feel like I'm more prepared because I know the things I need to do in order to not get to that place. Like I know what that looked like to be staying at home all the time in a way that's unhealthy. And I know what it looked like to slowly, you know, to come out of that state and can continue to implement those things like, really basically just, um, you know, taking care of myself and loving myself. Why is that even a hard thing to say? <laughs> loving myself. Um, yeah. and, um, and just, cause I think a lot of, like, I have a lot of negative self-talk that I deal with about like my worth being tied to things that I do or don't do. And, um, a lot of that Protestant work ethic, you know, um, And I've just had to like convince myself, like every day I try to start out by like writing affirmations to myself about, about my self-worth and what I deserve. I love, 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 um, you know, Adrienne Marie Brown, um, and, um, her work on pleasure activism Mm. has been so good for me. Um, just the way I think that she has, um, led me into this, this, way of thinking and realizing that I deserve pleasure. I deserve to experience pleasure and, um, can pursue that and that that can be a good thing for me and for others. Um, so yeah, every day I try to start out with some affirmations before I'm starting to think about like, what do I need to get done today? Cause I used to do that and that just was not helpful because then I would just get anxious about all the things I have to do and, um, it's just a cycle. Um, but yeah, I just try to start out by like reminding myself that, you know, I'll, I'll write something down like my self-worth is not tied to like getting any of these to do done today, you know, um, or that I, the most important thing for me today is to, um, to experience pleasure and to care for myself and things like that. Um, and writing them down really helps me. Um, so I'll, I'll write down some affirmations. And then I will move on to some to-dos for the day. And I try to keep it really, really simple. That's something I've learned from having major bouts of depression is you just kind of really keep it simple in times of crisis. And you really got to prioritize 
what's most important for you and not what's most what you think is going to make other people happy. Mm. And so I have put, you know, because I'm, yeah, I'm still in school. I am doing classes online. And unfortunately, the school's gotten a little better, but at first, especially their response to this pandemic has been to really try to carry on with things as usual, as if nothing is really happening, except they're moving classes online. And that has been super unhelpful for me because I'm like, okay, we're dealing with crisis. A lot of us have mental health struggles. A lot of us are dealing with, you know, food insecurity, housing insecurity, things like that. Um, And to just pretend that everything's normal is not helpful and to pretend like the expectations for all of us are the same is not helpful. So I've had to free myself from that and to give myself the, the freedom to, to, um, to think differently and to be like, okay, no, my worth is not tied to getting this assignment done or, you know, trying to impress this professor or whatever it is. And so I really put school on like, not completely on hold, but I put it on the back burner and, and that's been so good for me because it means that I have been able to do things that are good for myself and have preserved my mental health. Like I'm so yeah. glad because of these things, like I haven't spun into a really bad depressive episode. Like I've just been able to maintain, um, a pretty decent state, you know, given everything. And, you know, I'll do things like I'll garden and I'll walk my dog and be outside and make sure I'm like feeding myself like good meals and, And then when I've done those things is when I'll let myself come to more of the obligations and things that I feel like I'm supposed to be doing for other people like school and and things like that. And so what that means is that I've, you know, I've fallen behind a little bit on things. Um, But I, yeah, I'm grateful that when I've communicated that to professors, they've been really understanding and have, you know, been definitely okay with me prioritizing my mental health. Um, and I feel like I'm able to do better work than I would otherwise, um, because I'm not just like feeding into this underlying anxiety the entire time, but I'm coming to my work from a place of, okay, like I feel okay. Or as okay as I can really feel in a situation like this. Mm. Uh, so I can, cause so much of like, the work that I do, I can't separate, especially when, you know, you're doing like theological work and you're in, in seminary. I've always found it so difficult, if not impossible, to separate my my life from, you know, the things that I'm talking about and, and working on mm-hmm. working through. Um, and it's so, yeah, it's so impossible to be detached from those things. So I want to bring my my whole self to those things that I can only do that if I'm like caring for my caring for myself and um and making sure that I'm in a mental space where I'm able to even you know think through some of these things um and yeah so I I think that's like where I'm at and where I've been and I mean it's a daily struggle like I think especially coming from a background where I have where so much of it is like performance-based and you really have to be like doing good works and being a good Christian and like um and, you know, like you, you deserve to go to hell. And so you had better, like, once you're saved, like show God how much you deserve to be saved and, you know, all of that weird bullshit. Yes. Um, 
coming from a background like that, like it's especially, I think, a struggle to continue to remind myself that like, no, it's okay. Like I really am truly loved just as I am. Like I literally could do nothing and I would be okay. Um, I literally could um, just, you know, just sit here today and just not produce anything. And I still am just as worthy as I was, you know, the day before when I feel like I accomplished a lot. Um, so just feeling like the freedom to know that, like, if I believe that, like, if I believe in like a God who's good and a God who I want to think, you know, cares about us and like loves us and made us as like, like God's beautiful creation and, um, and cares for us, then to do the work of caring for myself is part of like caring for creation and part of caring for the people of God. Like if I'm one of the people of God, then I should care for all of the people of God, including myself. That's what's up. That's what's up. I love that. I mean, that's a great word because I think, I mean, just even the theological paradigm, right? That we're not worth it, that we're we're not worthy of anything. Like, you know, this kind of this we're really the 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 grubs of the earth. And so, you right. know, we have to grovel for everything. I mean, and really just so much yeah. of it is based off of guilt and shame. I mean, and I know I came out of that same background, right? Out of out of a black Seventh day Adventist um, mm-hmm. you know, environment where everything was like, you know, the will of God and the will of God and what does God say about this? And and like you said earlier, I mean, using the Bible is really an an answer for everything. It's like, oh man, you know, how do you make brownies? Well, it's in the Bible. You're like, oh man, you know, how do you make, you know, uh, eggplant parmesan? Well, I think it's in Exodus somewhere. And it's like, so it's a yeah, like, God sure. damn for real, oh, man. And and yeah, I've, and I have struggled just trying to reclaim some sense of balance between mm. ushering out the bullshit, um, mm. but still maintaining that identity, you know, and what does that look like as being a Christian? And and part of the my problem is is that in some of the academic circles that I'm in, it's like you know it, it gets so heady with this and scientific and that and that that it's like it's very easy for me oh, yeah. to just throw the baby, if you will, to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And yeah. um, mm-hmm. so this is good. This is it's good hearing. This yeah. is like I said, I'd I'd, I'd come to I'd, I'd come to your church. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I would uh, serve communion there. However you want to, or however you want to serve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I have a question or two for you. I oh yes, you. please. Okay, cool. So I am wondering about what it looks like for you to be a professor and to be a leader and to be somebody that people are looking to. Um, cause that's like something I aspire, you know, a position I am, I guess, aspiring to. Um, and I don't really, I feel like I'm not really there, you know, I'm like hoping to be ordained and be a pastor and things like that. Um, but I don't have, you know, followers or, you know, whatever it is. And I'm wondering as, you know, somebody with students and followers and, and all of that, what it means to be in a crisis like this and how you handle that. Like, how do you care for yourself and mm. how do you acknowledge the need that, that while also caring for other people and leading other people and um, responding to all of this? Yeah. I guess. What is that? Wow. Like? That's a great question. Um, 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, on social media, I mean, right, I got I got a little following, right? It's like I got a little, mm-hmm. a few folks, but I do. I have a lot of students that, you know, there. So, I've, you know, I've tried to check in on folks and, and, and reach out and just see how, you know, people are doing. But I think, I mean, going to the question of just, you know, own self-care, I mean, I, I, I love doing music, and I think um, I've tried to do more of that. Um, doesn't necessarily always happen with a family and a, and a daughter now that's at home and uh, yeah. that herself struggles with, you know, anxiety and, and, and whatnot. And so just trying to kind of maneuver that. And quite honestly, I mean, the dog park has been a lifesaver for us the last yeah. week. Um, and you know, cause you can still go and keep your social distancing and, and whatnot, but it's like the pets, seeing them run around mm-hmm. and seeing other dog owners. I think the big thing is like that I, that is sometimes that hits me, you know, just again, going back to being like a quote unquote leader, it's like, mm-hmm. it's, are, are people expecting, it's like, what are they expecting of me? Like, should I be yeah. saying more positive things? Should I be, yeah. uh, you know, and, and and this is kind of where I found the the podcast to be that space to talk through some of those things and to uh, engage. Mm-hmm. I've I've turned my online uh, course. Well, of course, all of us well, I had to go online. I mean, so I kind of have been doing all my lectures as podcast style. So it's like, well, let's have the music. Yeah. Let's have so let's at least have some fun with it and uh, yeah. engage that way. None of us yeah. planned for this. None of us signed up for a hundred percent online course, but here mm-hmm. we are, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I appreciate that because I feel like it's just making me think of how we so often think of leaders and and like yeah, professors and things like that, like people that are you know in charge or have some kind of position um, to be more like. I, to to be more individuals, I guess, rather than a collective. And I I love what you said about just the idea of consulting other people as a form of leadership, like doing that in a podcast, you know, doing that as a way of teaching others to not necessarily, to relieve the pressure on yourself um, and to, yeah, so so people don't think, you know, like this is a person who has, you know, capital A answers, yeah. you know, and all of that. But to to see, you know, like a style of like leadership that is, yeah, collective and that is like looking to other people and and asking questions and stuff like that. That's cool. I'm inspired. Thank oh you. my goodness. Well, <laughs> thank yeah. you. I mean, that was a great question and get me to think a little bit about that because yeah. 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 Okay, now I have to think of my other question, which was, um, okay, maybe you should ask me a question in the meantime if you have one. Yeah, no, absolutely. What, um, I mean, I guess, uh, so thinking about, you know, we got the summer coming up, at least here in Chicago, as you, as you know, I mean, it, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, it's, it's springy kind of weather which i'll say all oh, that's the, that's another thing i do to, to kind of help now that it's at like the other day i went out i i'm into grass not like mm-hmm. pot even though it's legal here in illinois but i'm into like grass oh, yeah. <laughs> fescues yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh mercy um but uh so yeah that's been the other day i went out and detached my my yard so that was that was fun a little okay. physical exercise cool. too um that's, that's a good call Okay, I remembered my question. Oh, no, go for it then. Go for it. 
Okay. Um, my question is about we, you know, we were we were talking about this whole pandemic situation, and we don't know what the new normal is going to be after this. And I wonder, like, what would you hope for it to look like? Like, what is your, if you could envision, mm. you know, a new normal after this, what would that look like? What do you think, like, we as, um, like, I don't know, church-y sort of people, um, as people of some sort of faith, um, <laughs> um, or or even just, like, the world and like all of us, you know, belong to one another. Like what, what would you want to see? And what do you like hope to see? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's a good one. Um, well, I mean, I would, I mean, I would hope that we could begin to see that a lot of the things that we take as for real aren't real. Um, Mm. like, you know, tax deadline. Oh, it's April 15th. It's April 15th. No, it's not. It can be moved. It's, this is, this is a human made construct, right? It's like the economy. The economy is like Mm. some moody person, not on Zoloft or anything. It's like, you know, they're up and down. It's like this, oh, they're, they're, the the economy's afraid of this. And then, oh, and then it's like, yo, we created this. We, we created these things. And it's like, yeah. um, I wish we could, you know, begin to kind of see that and see each other for who we really are. I mean, and again, that's stretching mm-hmm. because I get that, you know, people always say, it's like, oh man, when are the aliens coming so that we can kind of unite and, you know, and fight against one thing and stuff. It's just like, I wish this, this would be it. Like, it's like, even in this virus thing, it's like people still have to racialize it somehow because yeah. we still want this physical enemy. We still want this. I wish we could yeah. be able to to lend that, let that down. Um, and I also look, I wish we could begin to look at theologically just some of the theologies that we've held so true. Like, you know, for example, oh, God will protect me. It's like, but what does that really look like? Can we can we wrestle with that a little bit more um, in real time? Can we actually look at it and think to ourselves that, oh, wow, people to the south, southern border in Mexico, wow, maybe we should, like, not be putting folks in cages. Like, <laughs> like you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, what does humanity really look like? Um, I think that for me would be the big, bigger question. Like, what does humanity look like heading into a 21st century of AI, of machines, mm. of robots, right? It's like I said, the other day I was telling my class, it was an ad that popped up in Twitter and I was like, I have to send this to him. It was, um, you know, on, cause we've been talking, I have a course on digital technologies and whatnot and family and friends mm-hmm. and how all those things connect. And the ad was talking about how these machines are now making, um, pizza. And that's, you know, it's oh, like wow. from everything from the beginning of it to rolling the dough all the way <laughs> to the cooking of it. And, you know, and I, again, showed the video and, and, and had the class pose the question. It's like, right. But what does that then mean for the people who actually, you know, work? Mm. Like, can we actually see our humanity in this Mm. over profit? Like, I'm glad that Twitter is Mm. banning certain people from like, I forget what influencer it was and their dumbass self that licked a toilet on a plane and then tested positive for COVID. Like Twitter pulls that. Right. Exactly. Right. Like stupid stuff like that. Like, I'm like, great. Like, can we pause? Mm. Um, 
Let's see, yeah, and you know, and again, we'll, you know, we'll we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. I know for us, it's been like, wow, all these home cooked meals that we've been having, mm. you know, over the last mm. few days has been really delightful. Um, yeah. and, and the time in, and just in just being creative with how we spend our time. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I guess, I guess I'm hoping that this whole situation is giving us a chance to live a different reality that I think a lot of folks um, on the margins and a lot of folks um, who um, aren't at the peak of our society, you know, um, experience, you know, isolation and uh, quarantine and the feeling of being locked up Um, and, um, I guess that that would give us a chance to empathize more, um, because I guess kind of how I was talking about earlier, like there are some things you really can only learn through experience and through, um, like the, yeah, embodied experience of something. And so for us, like you were saying, like to, realize like maybe we shouldn't be like locking people up whether that's like people on the border or that's people um in like prisons and and things like that but you should realize like we're experiencing something that people i mean you know not exactly the same but something kind of like what other people experience um as their lived reality and we are fucking complaining all over about it like on instagram and twitter and we're like this sucks so much and like and we even like we still have so much more freedom and so many more options and um possibilities than we're giving to these other folks and i think of um like people with chronic illnesses and disabilities who have um been experiencing, you know, their own like self-isolation and, um, and feelings of, of loneliness and people battling mental health issues who have experienced versions of this before, you know, and now that we're all going through it, it's, it's something that we're talking about, you know, we're talking more about mental illness. We're talking more about what it feels like to be isolated and our needs for community and our needs for one another, and I'm just really hoping that that will be something that we carry out of this um, is that feeling of empathy for experiencing somebody else's reality that we couldn't have understood before. Um, mm. Yeah. Yes. That's the truth. That is the truth. It's the, mm. Right. It's being able to empathize. Right. Exactly. Because you're right. I do. I think about that a lot. I think about, you know, somebody <laughs> in prison or somebody in locked up in this or just even somebody just in, uh, you know, in particularly I, mean, I saw an, ad, or, or an article this morning, just a header. I didn't get a chance to read it in the New York Times about how, um, you know, people in abusive situations when, you know, and being in lockdown, um with somebody yeah. like that and you know in, in all of it right, right. physical sexual uh, uh um mm-hmm. verbal i mean i, I just I, I can't even imagine mm-hmm. that and so oh man the yes the the humanity in it in in what that what that looks like um wow mm-hmm. that's yeah. deep that's deep i appreciate yeah. those questions 
Yeah, thanks. I appreciate, yeah, the answers. And it's, I feel like it's a good thing to be talking about because it's so easy in this time to focus on all the panic and the fear and the unknown. Um, And yeah, I feel like the topics of conversation rarely turn to the good things that we hope will come out of this and the good things that we are experiencing even now amidst all of this. Right. Um, yeah, it's just always easier to talk shit. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for taking time out today and in, in, in all the craziness that's going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got nothing but time. <laughs> I hear, no, I hear you. I know that's that's the thing. So I really appreciate you reaching out and and texting a brother because I was like, oh man, this is great. I get get Heidi on the show. Yeah. Um, well, where can folks find you at? You know, like you know, they want to once this, like you said, once it's over, you know, get you get you on. Uh, maybe the new normal will be that we do keynotes uh, online. You know, who who knows? Yeah. Right? You know, get you an honorarium yeah. that way. Right? I mean. Uh, huh. Where can, yeah. where can folks contact you and engage? Yeah. Um, well, I feel like I'm still trying to not super engage that much on social media for the time being. I feel you. Um, I'm with you. But I can always get emails. <laughs> um, and I love, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm actually working on one of the projects I'm doing during this time is sending poems to my friends through the mail um just like hearing about books and stuff because i yeah i think that's i guess like something this time is encouraging me to do is move a little bit more toward like older forms of communication not to like completely let go of you know technology and stuff like that but yeah so i don't know like email is actually pretty dope um so i don't know email's cool you can email me um (laughs) it's uh, Heidi, uh, H-E-I-D-I dot Sun, S-U-N dot Schreiber, S-C-H-R-E-I-B-E-R at Gmail. Um, that'd be so cool if I got an email. That would be, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) And then maybe if I like you, I'll tell you my Insta handle. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I got, I have mine on lockdown too. Um, well, this is, this is great. And again, I'll, you know, I'll put these in the show notes. I just appreciate your perspective and in looking forward to your, to your first book, um, when it, when it comes out. (laughs) For sure. I'll keep you posted <laughs> <laughs> i hear that i hear that what's that i said don't hold your breath for that one. Oh, i'm i'm holding i'm holding it's coming shoot it's coming get a little duke university press thing going and, and whatnot shoot that and uh like i said that in the church so i'll be i'll be waiting when you get back here to right. to the chai <laughs> Ain't no sunshine when she's gone It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone She's always gone too long Anytime she goes away Wonder this time where she's gone Wonder if she's gone to stay 
Anytime. 